0: One of my favorite things is, as, as a dad is taking my kids to Baskin Robbins. It's, it's fun. It's great. It's great to see their delight, and it's great to see them fight over that ice cream, great for them to see that ice cream and, and choose their ice cream. Um, and I actually took my kids to Baskin Robbins this week as my wife was in Mexico. And uh, my son, Toby, he always knows what, what flavor of ice cream he wants. So if you ask him, he's going to tell you his favorite ice cream is blue. You know, you know, most of us we like we we might like rocky road or we like pistachio almond or you know a specific flavor of ice cream. His is just blue. Doesn't care what it tastes like as long as it's blue. Uh, his he went out for ice cream yesterday and he was sad that he had purple ice cream, but he's just he knows what he wants and he he doesn't care uh, about the flavor just as long as it's the color. And while I love seeing my kids delight in their ice cream and and knowing what they want kind of stresses me out a little bit going to Baskin-Robbins. There's 32 different ice cream flavors to choose from. I probably spend more time choosing the two scoops that I'm going to have than I actually enjoy eating those two scoops of ice cream. And you know, the funny thing is, is I always tend to kind of stay in the same flavor profile, kind of some fruity, some nutty. And it takes me longer to choose the two scoops of ice cream than it does for me to enjoy that ice cream. It just stresses me out to have that many options. I think it stresses me out because I want to make the right choice. I want to make sure that I, what I am choosing to eat is the right choice. And then most of the time after I finish choosing, my, eating my ice cream, I go back and I get a diff, another scoop, and I found that my first choice was actually the right choice all along. Have you noticed that we approach life kind of in the same way? You see, we have all of these options that we are forced to choose from, to, to select from. We start, you know, when we are graduating from high school, we have to make the, the life choice, the decision of what school am I going to go to? Am I going to go to WSU or am I going to go to UW? Preferably go to UW. But. <laughs> Wrong crowd. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we stress over what school do we go to. We stress over what program, what major do I choose? Do, what do I pursue? And then, of course, after we've pursued that major, then we start asking the question, where do I work? Where do I go? Where do I, what, how, do I, how am I going to make money? How am I going to survive? And then, you know, if we haven't gotten married in college, we're asking the question, who am I going to get married to? And we just keep asking and making these decisions. Where, what am I going to do? How am I going to live? And these are good decisions that we should be laboring over as they do impact the quality of life that, they, that we have. They do impact how, our, how we're going to see the world. You see, the question isn't, are these good decisions? The question should maybe be, will this have a lasting impact on my life? Let me say that the only decision that truly matters is what we choose to do with the knowledge of who Jesus is. You see, we can either reject everything about Jesus, or we can accept and we can submit to him as Lord, and there, there is no middle ground. You see, Jesus is not... An option among 31 options. Jesus is not the, he's not, do I choose Jesus and do I choose this? this the, really, the only thing that we see is that Jesus is our only option that truly matters. Dawson, can you put that up on the slide, please? See, we are to live in complete dependence, and devotion to Christ, or we are to reject everything about Christ and we go our own way. The relevancy of the book of Colossians is on, our, on our lives today is so clear. As followers of Christ, we are to place Christ first in our lives, first in our church, first in our marriages, first in our relationships, first in our work, and then more importantly, first in our, in our, in our world. Our lives are to be so centered on the truth of the gospel that everything else fades away. You see, Paul wrote to teach the Colossians who the real Jesus is. And he taught them, the the Colossians, what their response should be. And our response, just as it was with with the Colossians, was that we were to submit to Jesus in complete and total submission to Christ. We need to understand what it means to put Christ first in our lives. And the book of Colossians teaches us to live our lives in total submission to Christ. But we first live in total submission to Christ when we worship Christ for he is Lord over all creation. I'm going to change the pronouns on you a little bit as Paul is clearly identifying Jesus Christ and no one else in this passage. Look what Paul says about Jesus in, in verses 15 through 17. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before All things and in Jesus, all things hold together. You see, there's so much, not just in these few verses, but in this entire passage that I won't have time to unpack this morning. But what we see in this paragraph is that it is one of the most Christ centered statements in all of the New Testament. It's believed to be an early hymn, and Paul is clearly and succinctly telling us who Jesus is and why he matters. You see, this statement guides our direction and our devotion to Christ alone. Paul demonstrates that Jesus is not only supreme, but he is worthy of all worship. He alone shares the glory of God the Father in his simple terms, Paul is saying that Jesus is fully God and he deserves the full and complete worship that we would give to God the Father. Paul also fit the entire book of Colossians, all 98 verses into six verses. Let me just say, I can't even pack my suitcase that well when I, when I leave for a trip. But I'm going to go a step further and I'm going to say that everything that we affirm about God, his sovereignty, his goodness, his justice, his all powerfulness, his all knowingness, his ability to be at all places, at all times, that whatever we say about God the Father, whatever we define as being divine, Paul is saying that this is Jesus. Paul is saying that Jesus is worth everything that we would worship God the Father. And why it's one of the most important, if not most important, Christ-centered statements in all of the New Testament is Paul believed that right thinking leads to right living. Right thinking about Christ leads to right living for Christ. What we believe about Christ, what we believe about God, what we believe about the Holy Spirit has drastic implications on our entire life. See, Jesus isn't an option among many. We can't believe that if we live a good life and we just believe sincerely that we will be right with God without knowing who Jesus is flies in the face of not only Jesus' claims in in the New Testament, but all of Scripture as a whole. We are taught that knowing the real Jesus is of the utmost importance. Proper worship leads to proper witness. I love what Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. has to say about this passage. He says, even if this text does not derive from worship, it should drive us to worship. And proper worship of Christ should flow into witness for Christ. We may not understand all that's happening in in this short passage, um, but we should be left in awe and wonder of the majesty of Christ. We should be left in complete and total worship because Jesus is Lord of all creation, He is the sovereign ruler. but what we see in this is that Paul will take two very important truths from this passage and he will continue to develop them throughout the entire letter. He tells us that Jesus is both the sovereign ruler and the sustainer of all creation. So let me say this, if Christ cannot be Lord at all, or sorry, of lo- a Lord of all, he cannot be Lord at all. Let me just repeat that for you. If Christ cannot be Lord of all. He cannot be Lord at all. You see, we are left with no other option. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he is is Lord of all creation, if he is the sovereign ruler, if he is supreme deity, savior of the world, then we have to believe in him. Or we reject everything that he says about himself, and we believe that he's a nobody, he's nothing, he's not worth our time. It's, it's either or, either Jesus is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. And so we either worship him in full and total submission, giving every area of our lives to him, or we reject the entire claims of Christianity and go our own way. And let me say, Jesus is the only option worth making Paul tells us the same thing in verse 16. He says, for by Jesus, I want you to underline this word, all, that's my habit there, just underline all. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. You see, what Paul is doing is incredibly bold. We should be reminded of Genesis 1.1, and I'm assuming most of us have heard that verse already, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is theology 101. God created the heavens and the earth. But what Paul is doing is Paul is saying that the God, in Genesis 1, the person that we refer to is Jesus Christ himself. He says that everything Physical and the physical world has been created by Jesus. It means that everything that we see in the world has been created by Jesus, whether it's through a telescope or through a microscope. Everything that we see has been created by Jesus himself. A little while back, I told my son, Tobias, that Jesus has created everything. And then as we're in the cars, he will point out and he'll say, Dad, did Jesus make the trees? I said, yes, of course Jesus made the trees. Lately, it's been getting a little bit more silly where he says, did Jesus make that boat? Well, not not technically, but Jesus created the things for the boat. And he'll ask me, did Jesus make that house? Did Jesus make uh, all sorts of different things? And then we'll get back on track with the created world, and he will say, did Jesus make mom? I said, of course he did. And so... It's these simple moments of just being reminded that Jesus has created everything. I want to take a moment today just to, to look around the room. We are filled with, with people. Sometimes we take things, these things for granted where the people that, we are, that are in here, this room, everyone has a unique fingerprint. Jesus has created a unique fingerprint for every individual. Not only has he created a unique fingerprint, he created a unique DNA sequencing code that I have my own DNA and you have your own DNA, and we are distinct from one another. Not only has he created us with unique DNA sequences, he has created us with unique personalities, including my own. Um, Some of you may have heard the word Jacobisms, and they're they're true. Uh, But you can talk to the folks in my life group about them. Furthermore, Paul states that Jesus is both Lord of the physical world and Lord of the, uh, uh, the physical world, or everything we can see. And he also says he's Lord of the invisible world. This is the everything that we can't see, clearly. <clears throat> it's also called the immaterial or the spiritual realm. And just real quickly, that Paul was writing to the Colossians who believed that, that Good and evil were in this cosmic battle where sometimes good would win and sometimes evil would win. And there was this constant tension and they were equal in power, equal in nature, equal in in, in influence. But Paul is going a step further and he is saying that Jesus has created the spiritual realm. Jesus is Lord and Master of the spiritual realm. This includes Satan and demons. Paul is saying that there's not a cosmic battle between good and evil. There is good, and there is evil, and good will win. And we can find that throughout the rest of Scripture. But Jesus reigns sovereign and supreme in every aspect of our world. Jesus is not a created being. But he goes further in verse 17, and he says, And Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things Hold together. You see, Jesus not only creates, but he also sustains. He also nourishes all things by his word alone. Jesus is, is sustaining creation. He is holding all of creation, and the very fiber of our molecular cells are being held together by Christ at all times. Probably the most humbling aspect of all Christianity is that not only Christ sovereignly reigns over all creation, but he desires a relationship with us. We would think that Jesus is too busy holding all things and creating all things to to hear from us. But scripture teaches that God, that Jesus is, is knowable, that he desires a relationship with us. You see, the psalmist tells us that God knows every hair that's on our head. He knows every day that we have on this earth. And the psalmist also asks the question, Who am I, O Lord, that you would care for me? Who am I that you would mind for me? And so not only does Jesus desire a relationship with us, but he commands us to take our burdens to, to him. Regardless of whether they are big or small, he commands us, he says, Cast all your burdens on me, for I care for you. We are commanded to to take our burdens to him and to find rest in him. We are commanded to not fear because he is in control. He provides for us. He sustains us. And it's because he's in control over all things that when something terrible happens in our life, which is inevitable. We live in a broken and a fallen world. We can expect the loss of a loved one. We can expect to lose our job. We can expect our health to decline. We can expect all sorts of trauma and tragedies happening in our life. But we can also expect that Jesus will be there with us. This is this intimacy that God delights in us, that God uh, is with us. And he is able to comfort us in our heartache because he alone is Lord of the whole world. See, not only has Christ created all things and all things are created uh, by him and, and are sustained by him, but that we have been created for worship. We have been created specifically to worship Jesus. Look again what Paul says. He says, "...for by Jesus..." All things were created. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Have you ever noticed that we're creatures of worship? That whatever our eyes come to, that, that we, we begin to worship that? Like the reality is, is, if we're not worshiping God, we're definitely worshiping something else. I, I don't know, you know, if we're not worshiping God, we can also worship the Seahawks. Ooh, they can become, it can become an idol. It can become something that we we value, that we, that we desire, that we, we invest ourselves in. But we can also worship money. We can have this greed that we have this love of money that we just need more and we need more and we need more and we are striving for more money and more money never fixes anything. We can strive for more power. We can worship power. We can even... Worship what college we went to. But you see, if what we ultimately value replaces what ought to be our love and our devotion to Christ, then we are worshiping something other than Jesus. We are creatures of worship, and we are designed for worship. Worship isn't just the music that we sing on Sunday mornings. Well, that is valuable, that is good, and that is great for us to sing corporately, but worship scripturally flows from our heart. Worship is dictated by our values. You see, to truly worship Christ is to value what Jesus values above all else. Paul knew that our hearts were prone to wander from Jesus and he made it clear that not only we're created by Jesus but we are explicitly created to worship Jesus. It's why we exist. Our sole purpose in life is to worship Christ and enjoy Him forever. If our sole purpose is to worship Jesus, can we say that we are adequately ascribing the proper worth and value to Jesus? Are we willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel? If our answer is no, more than likely, we are not worshiping Christ. I firmly believe uh, that you make time for what you value. If you've been around me, you probably have heard me say that a time or two. You make time for what you value. And time spent is a great indication of where your heart is. Also, time or money spent is a great indication of where where your heart is. So, I want to challenge you to spend time this week, record every half hour of what you do, what you do when you wake up, what you do after you wake up, and just watch your your habits, your daily habits. And do this for a week, and then at the end of the week, you're going to see where you are spending a disproportionate amount of time. For me, man, I can spend a little bit too much time on social media in my downtime. And that is something that I recognize in my own heart. I'm like, ah, man, I need to root that out. See, after the the week is finished, you're going to find where your priorities are. You're going to find where your values are. You're also going to find some hard truths about yourself, some uncomfortable truths. You're going to find bad habits. You're going to find uh, that you are not fully dedicated to the Lord. See, I had to do this assignment for one of my classes in school. I hated it. It was so bad. I hated it because of the fact that it exposed my heart. It exposed where I wasn't fully devoted to the Lord. And not only did I have to just do this for myself, I had to turn it into my professor. And that, oh, yeah, didn't like it. But what it did do, it allowed me to see where I needed to redeem Time that I was given. As we examine our lives, Christ must be first in our lives as He is Lord over all creation. Not only do we worship Christ as He is Lord over all creation, but we also worship Christ as He is Lord of the church. Look at verse 18. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. I love that the New Testament uses different images to describe what the church is. The church is this grand thing, and, and to put it in human terms, the church is a body. And so, look what Paul says in Romans 12, 4 and 5. He says, "...for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another." And we see in 1 Corinthians that Jesus or that Paul is saying that the, that some are ears, some are feet, some are hands and they are all working for the kingdom of God. They are all working for the purpose. But one thing that the New Testament is very clear on is that none of us are ever the head of the church. That is solely reserved for Christ himself. See, the New Testament describes the church as one body. We are Completely different parts, but co-dependent on each other. More importantly, we, all, we are all dependent on the one source, Jesus Christ, our head. He is the leader. He is the source of life for our church. He is our sustainer. You see, in the same way that we see that he's the Lord of creation, he's also the Lord of the church. He sustains He holds the church together. He leads the church. He loves the church, and he builds his church up. The reason why the church has existed for 2,000 years is not because we have been clever in in keeping the church alive. It's because Christ has sustained the church these 2,000 years. We believe the same things about Christ today as Paul wrote, 2,000 years ago, and we believe the same things about Jesus, and that is because Jesus has been sustaining his church through the Holy Spirit. See, I've grown up in church, and the more that I look back, the more that I see that God has continued to provide for his church. He has continued to nourish her. He has continued to provide people to the church to sustain the mission of the church. He has brought people along, and He has grown them in their faith. And then we have the privilege and the honor to equip them and to prepare them for more ministry, which Jesus uses. And Jesus has, is, has made the church completely and totally sustainable. And He does this because He wants us to further His kingdom. He has designed the church to be His, his plan of redemption through Christ. It's through the blood of Christ that people come to know him and he has used the church to further that agenda these last 2,000 years. And so the church is God's plan A to redeem the world that we're in. And so one of the things that we do is that we focus and we rely on the power of the resurrection of Christ. We're just saying it's amazing grace. That amazing grace that that. Christ has called us and loved us. And we're going to sing a a song later that is focusing on the resurrection of Christ. Our Sunday mornings in some ways reflect the resurrection of Christ and it's that resurrection that has us power. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us power and it's all through the the Lord who's reigning supreme over his church. Every Sunday we in some ways proclaim the, the majesty and the power of Christ. And what we do reflects the, the resurrection of Christ, specifically in light of the gospel. Everything we do at restoration points back to Jesus. We, we focus on Jesus. He's, he's central to who we are as a church. And it's also in the context of church that we recognize that we have people in the same family, that we are one body in Christ. And so as we come together on Sunday mornings, we are celebrating the resurrection. But not only are we celebrating the resurrection, but we are loving one another and Jesus uses our love to be the greatest witnessing tool in our world. He says in John in John 13 that the world will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Jesus uses our love to be one of the greatest witnessing tools to the world around us because the world has never seen supernatural love. And so we worship and we we delight in Jesus because he is Lord of the church that we do this to bring people to know him. And then Paul goes on to say in the remainder of verse 18 that Jesus' resurrection is of the utmost importance. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything Jesus might be preeminent. And this is where we get into Paul's central uh, idea for the entire passage and really for the entire book of Colossians. It's in that word preeminent. This is the only time in the New Testament that preeminent is used. And it's a strange word that we don't use today, right? Who here has heard and uses the word preeminent? Zach Steinges. Awesome. (laughs) It's a, it's a foreign word. We might be more familiar with the word prominent, which means famous or, uh, or, or of high position. But this is what uh, Webster's Dictionary defines preeminent as. It says, having paramount rank, dignity, or importance. You see, the idea magnifies the unique position that Jesus Christ has in our life. Christ Is all and in all. Everything belongs to him. If there's a big neon sign in the book of Colossians, it's right here. Paul is clearly and constantly telling us the same thing. And we see that through his repeated phrases. Let's look again at the language that he's used in the first few verses. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation, and he is before all things, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. I don't know about you, but I might not know what Paul's trying to say here. Paul has been stating in many different ways that Jesus is to be first in our lives. That Jesus is to be the source of our lives. We have no option but to make Christ first. Jesus cannot be a prominent figure. Jesus cannot be an option among many. He must be preeminent in all things. So this is what Paul is telling us. He says that we are to put Christ first, holding to the hope of the gospel, See, the truth of Scripture tells us that, that we are to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. It doesn't mean that we need to abandon our jobs and go live in the mountains, go start monasteries and just be in, in community and just be there devoted to Jesus. It doesn't mean that we abandon everything that we know and love and remove move to a remote village as a missionary or that we abandon everything and just pursue Christ. But it does mean that we are to recognize that our lives are not our own, but that they have been bought with the blood of Christ. They belong to Christ. Holding to the hope of the gospel in in simple terms really means to hold to the hope and the person of Jesus Christ. You see, what we see in Scripture is that The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the good news of the gospel. That the gospel is everything about the ministry of the life, of the death, of the burial, the resurrection, and the glory of Jesus. To talk about the gospel is to talk about Christ. And so we recognize that the aim of Christian living is that Christ is our center, That we are to put Him on the throne of our lives. We are to submit to Him as our Lord and our Master. What we find is when we have placed Christ first in our lives, yes, tragedy is going to happen. Confusion is going to happen. But what we will find is that we are complete in Christ and we are lacking in nothing. Christ is our source. It means that in everything that we are striving to grow in our knowledge and to grow in our love for Christ, to grow in our love for others, means that we are intentional to set time aside in our day to know who Jesus is, to develop that relationship. It means that we are intentional to be in devotions, where we are reading the Word of God, because the Word of God is the only thing that truly tells us who Jesus is. It means that we are intentional to pray. It means that we are intentional to converse on a daily basis, in a moment-to-moment basis with Jesus. It means that we are willing to grow and love in our service of others. It means that we are to grow in our love for others. When we grow in our love for Christ, we grow in our love for others. And so here's the challenge for us. We need to be willing to cut things out of our life that hinder us. From our development of our relationship with Jesus. We need to remove things that that prevent us from growing in our love for Jesus. For me, recently, I had a great opportunity to uh, do a community project here in Yakima. And I loved it. I loved the purpose. I loved the goal. I loved the fact that it the desire is to make Yakima a better place. I love that. I'm on board with that. Yakima is a great place, and, and I want to see Yakima become the place that, it, that God has created it to be. You see, I jumped on this project without bringing this decision before the Lord, asking, do I have time for this? Is this something that you want me to do? I definitely jumped on board without talking to my wife, and husbands, that's, that's a bad idea. Don't don't do that. But what I found is that while this is a good project, while this is a valuable project, and I'm on board with the mission, it hindered me from my own development in in my relationship with Christ. It hindered me and pulled me away from the things that mattered in life. And so the same thing is true for us. We need to root out those things in our life. While they may be good options, they may not be Christ-glorifying. So put Christ first, holding to the hope of the gospel. At Restoration Church, you can almost guarantee on a Sunday morning you will see someone wearing It's a Not About Me shirt. I love those shirts. I love those shirts. I own one, and I proudly wear it every week. True story. But what these It's Not About Me shirts say is exactly that. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. All of everything that we do is is about Christ, and we need to keep reminding ourselves that it's not about me, it's about Jesus. Everything that we do should be about the gospel. Jesus, again, is the good news of the gospel, and to make him first is to make him preeminent. And so, Paul goes further to explain what the gospel is. He says, Redemption. And only comes as a result of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so we worship Christ because he is the Lord of redemption. Paul says in verse 20, And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. And you who once were... Sorry, my, my notes got all crazy there. You who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. See, the point of Christianity is a relationship with Jesus. Jesus has reconciled himself, to, or he has become the reconciliation for us so that we can be reconciled to God. See, this idea of reconciliation implies a broken relationship. It implies that there was a healthy relationship, but it's now destroyed. It's now broken. And that broken relationship came with Adam and Eve. They were created in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 to have a relationship with God. And then in Genesis 3, we saw that relationship was broken by sin. And because of the burden of sin, all creation has been under the weight and the burden and the effect of sin since then. And not just Adam and Eve, they just, they're not the only ones who've been suffering from a broken relationship. Every single person in here has had a broken relationship with Jesus in their life. We are born with that broken relationship. There's nothing that we can do to get out of that broken relationship. And because of sin, because of, of, of death... <clears throat> Jesus, something needed to happen. And so nobody was righteous. Nobody was seeking after God. But it's because of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection that Christ has reconciled humanity to God. The entrance has been opened. He has become our mediator. He has restored humanity's relationship with, Christ, with God. And he did this by taking on the full weight, the full punishment of sin, so that we could freely go and know who, who God is. And Jesus restored what sin had broken. Through that, through his death, burial, and resurrection, he proved that he is the Lord of redemption. By his power, we're saved. By his power, we are brought near to the presence of God. And all we have to do is submit our hearts and our minds to Christ and believe that he is God. And some of you have done that already. Some of you have, have remember a time when you were hostile and you were angry towards God. Whether you knew it or not. And what you found that because your heart was angry and hostile towards God, that caused you to do evil actions, as Paul said here in verse 20. And so that you are, you, you saw this perpetual cycle. The more that you thought wrongly, the more you, it caused you to live wrongly. But by the grace of God, we have placed our hope and our trust in Christ, and we are a new creation. We are a new person and we are no longer under the ownership of sin. And it's because you have placed your faith and your hope in Christ that you are a new creation. Some of you here this morning are still isolated from God. You are still living for yourself. You find that it has only led to more brokenness, more frustration, more anger, more confusion, and more pain. If that's you this morning, let me say that Jesus has paid the weight of your sin 2,000 years ago. He has not only done this for you, he's done this for all of humanity, all, of, all people of all time, while we were still enemies of God, while we were still hostile and angry towards God, while we were all still sinners. He demonstrated his love for us at the cross 2,000 years ago by dying and paying for the penalty of your sin. He made the way for you to believe in him. <clears throat> Just look what Ephesians two eight and nine says. It says, "For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that, someone, so that no one may boast. And what we see is that all people come into a relationship to Christ by grace through faith. And if it's God's grace. It's extended through the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, that we are saved from our sins in the past, in the present, and in the future. At the moment of placing our hope in Christ and our faith in Christ, in the moment that we submit to his rule and reign, we are ushered immediately into the family of God. We are brought into the family, into the body of Christ. More importantly, putting your trust in Christ makes you a new person. Sin no longer is your master, no longer has your control. The relationship with Christ means that you are holy and blameless before God right now. If you've never made that decision to follow Christ, now is the time. The Bible is abundantly clear that there is a sense of urgency. Believe now in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe now because we are not guaranteed tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen in five minutes. And so there's a sense of urgency to place our hope and our trust in Christ now. And in doing so, we are then free from sin. We are free from condemnation, and we have the hope and assurance that we will spend eternity with Jesus, worshiping him in heaven. See, this is the most important decision of your life and what you choose to do with the knowledge of who Jesus is. And I want to invite you to come see either myself or Pastor Kevin this morning and and talk to us about how how you can start that relationship with Christ. Regardless of where we are at life, we must always put Christ first. We need him for everything. Putting him first rec- allows us to recognize our own need for Christ, our own, our own brokenness. And that while we have been restored, that Jesus is who he says he is and he restores us. And he, we can continue to worship him by holding fast to the hope of the gospel. Look what Paul says in verse 23. He says, if indeed you continue to be In faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. See, this if statement doesn't mean that we can lose our salvation. It doesn't mean that we can lose our status, our our position in Christ It means that if we've truly placed Christ as our first, Christ is our foundation, and we will grow in him. We will develop in our faith. We will develop in our love for him. If we've been saved by grace through faith, then it's by grace through faith that will uphold us in Christ. And the hope of the gospel means that we are holding to the assurance that we are saved, that we are cleansed from all sin, and that we are in a right relationship with Christ. It means that we have a desire to kill and root the sin in our lives. All of these themes, Paul will continue to develop throughout the book of Colossians. And so, in the simplest terms, holding to the hope of the gospel means that we have peace with God regardless of what's happening in life. I love what John Piper says about the hope of the gospel, he says, And the gospel is the good news that there is hope for sinners, the worst of sinners, the hope of forgiveness, the hope of reconciliation, and the hope of holiness. And he's also said that we can have the assurance that we can look in the mirror ashamed and, and condemned by sin and lay our head on our pillows that night and know that we are forgiven of all of our sins See, the reality is that Jesus is already reigning over our lives. Yet he gives us the option to not make him Lord. So are we properly and adequately acknowledging who he is in our personal lives? As Christians, we are called to do two things. We are called to remember and rest in the hope of glory. To remember means to look back to reflect back on what Christ has done, on reflect on his power, reflect on his love. And it's based on what's happened to us in the past that gives us confidence and assurance for what's going to happen in the future. It gives us hope for tomorrow, knowing that Jesus is with us. Jesus is not some distant deity. He is our Lord. He is our friend. For some of us, we simply need to make the decision to make Christ and to know Christ, to put our hope and trust in Christ. Jesus made it possible for you to be reconciled with God. And so all you need to do is take that step of faith. All you need to do is place your hope and your trust in Christ. Rest in his promises. Rest in in the hope that you can have in Christ. You can either accept the claims of Christ or you can reject the claims of Christ. There are no options. And so I urge you just to be reconciled to God today. For some of us, <clears throat> we've made a profession of faith. We've said, Yes, I believe in Jesus, but our hearts are far from Jesus. Worship is a matter of the heart and placing Jesus first in our lives is to to put him supreme to worship him over all things so some of us need to do a heart check where is our heart what are we worshipping what are we valuing and for those of you who've placed your hope and your trust in Christ i want to challenge you just to examine your hearts examine your life examine your faith and see what areas of your heart you have not given fully over to the lord and as you discover those, I want to challenge you to repent and confess. And just pray and trust the Lord. For some of us, we need to know and be reminded that we are forgiven. We carry the weight of past sins, of past burdens, and we carry those with us. See, the hope of the gospel is that Jesus has forgiven us of those, that Jesus is willing to take those for us. And some of us, we just need to trust Jesus is good to take those from us. See, we need to hold on to the hope that we are already cleansed, that we are already forgiven, that we are already children of God, and there's nothing that we can do that can remove that status. We need to rest in the promises of God throughout all Scripture, time and time again. Jesus says, confess your sins, and, and I if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, we, he, will, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There are promises in Scripture that we are to hold on to. This Restoration Church, put Christ first, holding to the hope of the gospel. Will you pray with me?